So we look at the topic of the five kanda. I refer to this as the stuck lump. The, the five kanda as affected by clinging. And this really refers to the way of looking at first of the Buddha's three knowledges. You know, what, what is it when we say a being or a form or birth? Birth is the coming together, the arising of the five kanda. So this is what we're in. And it's, it's so total that it's difficult to conceive outside it, beyond it. But the, there is a release from this. And it's, it's also, that's not any way easy to define, but we start off saying by directly knowing an understanding, form, feeling, perception, sankharas, consciousness, by becoming dispassionate towards it and abandoning it, one, one is capable of destroying suffering. So the whole point of the teaching is to eliminate dukkha. And there is this uh, possibility of the elimination of dukkha. So that's the main theme of the Buddha's teaching. is purely about stopping a particular experience happening, an experience of dukkha. You know. And when you come to ontologies, it gets more risky. That is, well, what is it that's released? What is it that's trapped? Um, is there a self that's released? It, no, there's no self that's released. Well, how do you get around that? <laughs> you know, so the ontologies, of course, are what we tend to want to know about because it gives us some sense of, you know, when they, if we're going to kind of disband the five aggregates, well, what's left? <laughs> uh, is there anything left? And what is clear as we look at the suttas is that the Buddha can't be defined as in the aggregates or apart from them either as having them or not having them <laughs> so it's, it's said that certainly you can't say the Buddha doesn't have the five aggregates but you can't, you know, you can't define him as the five aggregates either so for, for other people can see this form walking around manifesting you know all this, there's this functioning form and yet the, the real Buddha quality, the awakened quality is not confined with them not subject to their sway, to their influence so what's that? Yeah. Here we go and uh, so this is impossible to describe as the Buddha so for the past two and a half thousand years a lot of people have been trying to describe this <laughs> human beings being the darndest creatures that we are <laughs> one, one interesting one is, is uh, a use of citta you know, citta saying citta is that which is released so it's often said you know, citta the citta is crazy, the citta is drugged the citta is under influence the citta is suffering the citta is released there is release of citta so you think, ah, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. But you know, chitta itself is not actually a thing. It's a, it's a location, if you like. So the, every, well, it's every, every moment of consciousness, every moment of awareness, there's a kind of centering within that. There's an organizing within that. And it, or, with every moment is organized into consciousness and form and you know that's how it happens and this organizing location which is not you can't see it but you can experience it is that's chitta and it, it organizes all these immaterial experiences into some cohesive um, sense this is so when the chitta is following the five aggregates it does that so in that case we get the sense of well there's me here you know, un with all this stuff or me here at the centre so we can't really find who that me is 
there's a strong sense of well there's something isn't there that's knowing, seeing, hearing, feeling, being affected or being aware of all this yeah? and this, this is chitta so but then with the, when, the, when there's an increasing um, dispassion or disengagement from this stuff then the, the chitta doesn't operate in the same way of organizing defining scrutinize it just starts to release from that from the from the five aggregates as it starts to release the experience of chitta itself starts to loosen as you probably all know you know you can sense yourself when you're highly engaged you feel quite tight and dense and busy then you come to very open spacious states where it hardly seems you're there at all you know there's a kind of vestigial sense of you know of recognizing a quality of peacefulness but all the names the forms the normal programs are in abeyance you know so it gives you a sense of how you know, your, your, your chitta, your sense of self is it moderates you can moderate it and you can turn it right down something's quite, quite vestigial quite a, just a remnant and then it's more, much more difficult to define exactly what it is that knows or who's aware or, or even really be that interested in doing so because <laughs> you think well it doesn't really matter anymore so you know, if you continue along that line, you can see as, as chitta is released from the fire aggregates, chitta is also released from even being chitta. You know, it doesn't do that. It doesn't jit anymore. It doesn't. Because <laughs> there's an organising centre that doesn't organise. So it's no longer an organising centre. So, with the release of chitta, is also sometimes called the cessation of chitta. Cessation should not be understood as um, some kind of destruction, but cessation refers to an action rather than an entity. So, in other words, cessation doesn't mean the destruction of an entity, it means the stopping of an activity. Niroda. Yeah? Niroda is the word for cessation. Roda means to run, to run out. Niroda means it doesn't run anymore. Yeah? So you've got to look at cessation very much in terms of a dynamic rather than a, rather than a substance. Mm-hmm. Stopping an activity, stopping suffering. Suffering is an activity, not a substance. You stop doing it. <laughs> <coughs> so as I say, in the language, languaging tends to translate verbal processes into substantive nouns, substantive things, because there you've got these words, little black and white things sit there on paper saying I'm a thing (laughs) naturally very much the whole experience of Dhamma is much more of a verbal experience you see what I mean, it's in flow nothing actually is anything everything is that way because you see it for a moment therefore you can call it something but it's actually moving, morphing into something else it's, everything is in movement feelings change from mildly pleasant to very agreeable to slightly less agreeable to agreeable again to less agreeable to acutely disagreeable to absolutely wretched to neutral you know, and it's, it wavers along like that so what is a feeling? It's, it's, a, it's a line on a graph of, of sympathy and sensitivity isn't it and yet we can easily just take a photograph of one bit of that and say pain, thing you know? so, so we come out of that view with practice and you're seeing everything is a something in the process of becoming something else that's a kind of view of of, um, um, of, of the insubstantiality, the impermanence and yet these spikes, these spikes and loops on the graph certainly set up big jarring repercussions where the mind clutches or spins or um, urges and that spinning, urging sense, that's where the sankara come in, they start getting motivated and then they start moving 
into their more active form. So as, as was commented yesterday in Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi's introduction, Sankara in terms of the five aggregates are more in their um, in this analysis in the less more act, less active state they're kind of just holding things together Sankara is the glue or the continual you might say the continual cross-referencing that gets into that particular pattern or loop whereby um, the whole, all the aggregates arise together it's like the you know, Sankara kind of brings them all together, you have consciousness and um, a form and feeling perception and they all kind of arise in the same place so, so Sankara is the orchestrator he says okay all you guys I want you to come in at the same time <laughs> I have a feeling without consciousness you know <laughs> and so sometimes it's this also to recognize that the five khanda are really just one way of, of analyzing or describing something Another way of describing it is Nama Rupa Vijnana, um, name, form, consciousness. So there's a, and that's another way of looking at the same material, dis- which is also useful because once you see name, form, consciousness is the equivalent of the five aggregates, and it gives you another way of looking at what is this name bit. Name is the the immaterial aggregates apart from consciousness that becomes significant in some of the later other suttas where they talk about the cessation of name and form <coughs> as being um, you know the, the process of, of release or awakening there's a difference and the Sankara of course plays a big role in that as well Sankara Vijnana Nama Rupa ties up so and the, the refrain with all this is to with the aggregates as you know they're, they're taught there in order that there can be a disbanding of something a seeing through something that is part stuck together and becomes a burden so that the being able to break it up at least cognitively at least in terms of awareness you can see oh there's this you know you start to see the specific things rather than the, just the big lump together so that requires um, trained attention so simply speaking you use the sankara of trained attention manasikara the intention and so forth in order to see through this um, this packaging which the awareness gets chitta gets fascinated by trapped by and, and overwhelmed by this, this packaging sometimes chitta the relationship with jitta the five aggregates is described as a spider running around a web the chitta is always running around this web and it can't get off it and every time the web quivers Chitta runs out and <laughs> scurries around it. Mm. But there is a the powerful thing that binds them all together. This is what uh, clinging. Mm. So the only real um, difference between a Buddha and the aggregates and an un- unawakened being in the aggregates is that the Buddha has no clinging to them is still functioning but the Buddha is not is, is released from them but they're still, they're still happening for this lifetime and clinging itself is carried out through the Sankara Kanda so is the thing that binds is the activity that binds so if we can um, start to sh- change or understand or soften or release or, or work on the sankara 
then um, it's this uh, clinging can be seen through mm. and at this stage the bottom why this is so often described as seeing through is because the, the bottom line if you like of Sankara is, is a view it's a particular one's view is programmed the view is programmed mm. there's a certain sense of regarding that as soon as we always become aware you know of anything we, that, like this very formal we, we stop doing things we come you know, sitting still for example there's a kind of a sense of awareness that, that immediately starts this is me this is, this is myself this I am you know, that's, that's, doesn't necessarily say that but that's the feeling of it you know? and along with that comes whatever particular programs that may contain whether that's a sort of negative or critical or, um, or you know um, anxious sense or a sense it's got to make something happen about it or it has to get somewhere or do something that kind of sense comes along with that very regard that very regard of, of um, this form, perceptions, feelings, mental formations, thoughts as myself you know and it's so instantaneous that most of our practice is aimed at you know recognizing that that sense of that view that occurs this is myself saying no no this is just the thought <laughs> and not just saying that but starting to learn to relate to it just as a thought rather than something to get all reactive about one way or another either delight in or feel uh, averse to or whatever you know. you know these are short these are I think are familiar themes for your meditation <laughs> and yeah of course it's extraordinarily tricky to do you know. and uh, so forth so when we get a feeling there's almost immediately some sense of liking that wanting that to stay have a bit longer or wish it would sort of hurry up and show that it's impermanent <laughs> there's no aversion to it I just want to really see this as impermanent <laughs> the happy stuff I'm not that interested in seeing it as impermanent but the disagreeable stuff I really really want to practice insight with that <laughs> so this, this very regard uh, is, is a this view is, is sankara. It's it's not a not really an activity, but it's an activator. It activates. Mm. This is this sankara is is um, a vijja or wrong wrong seeing, seeing things wrongly, and from that the sense of becoming, as you said, the asava becoming, which is. Um, can be most obviously experienced as the uh, sense of the future, the time sense. I uh, was this, I will be this, or I want to be this, or how long do I have to continue being this? Uh, could I be something else? Uh, why am I this? How long have I been like this? <laughs> will I ever stop being like this? So forth. That's that's the becoming thing, or even. Um, you know, the sense of, hey, this is a nice space. I mean, I want this nice if this lasted a bit longer. That's becoming too, isn't it? You know, so becoming isn't necessarily a, a push forward in time, but it, it carries a kind of time sense with it. So we might say this this particular view can can move into activity and uh, but it also can just be a kind of latent holding pattern that as it holds it holds together these five kanda five so it becomes a kind of stuck lump it's important to recognize that the Kandas are subjective experience. So 
So these are not actually, um, they're just ways of describing how, how we experience things. So rupa, form, is not exactly the body, although it's most often the body is how we experience form. So this is because rupa in the sutras is never described, you don't have, rupa doesn't have legs, it doesn't have eyes, it doesn't have sense faculties. Um, rupa is this inner intimate sense of there's a form here, there's a sense of, and the form can be described simply in terms of these elements, that is a sense of some solidity, yeah. um, some warmth, um, some sense of movement, there's moving, there's breathing in and out, there's pulses, there's movement, um, there's a sense of cohesion, that is one thing affects another thing, things kind of bond together, it's, it's a resonant uh, interactive experience. So when you close your eyes, you know, you still get the sense of, you know, there's pressure, solidity, there's the movement pressure, which is this swelling of the air, the, the sense of things moving through, there's the sense of warmth or vitality, whether it's strong or diminished, that's um, the fire element. And then there's the water element, which is the cohesive. So this is the, the rupa ganda. And they all blend together. You know, so in, in any particular moment of experiencing form, all those elements will be present to some degree or another. One will tend to dominate. Hmm. Vedana, three kinds of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Feeling is, uh, has got a certain charge to it, certain push, certain charge. The current, voltage, you know, boom. And perception, I think in the Kajanya Sutta that you see this um, nice, no, somewhat unhelpful in a way. Mm. Why do you call it form? Because it is afflicted. This is actually a play on words. See, why do you call it rupa? And I think it, yeah, I think the the Pali says because it is rupati and so it's, 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 a, it's a word play but it's not actually related in terms of meaning it's just related in terms of the, of the letters and sounds so it's a bit of a word play and obviously so it gives you an idea the suttas are not really <laughs> they're, they're, they're pragmatic their aim is to arouse your interest and point some things sometimes they use shock tactics a lot of the analogies are very shocking. They really stab you. Sometimes they tease you a little bit. This one's a bit of a tease, uh, playing with words. Because it's, why, because it's called form, then he's, he's making the point. Form is afflicted with cold and heat, hunger and thirst. Um, so he's obviously using this to draw out the, the difficulties the negative aspects, the afflictive experiences that come along with the aggregates. He's doing this to help us to let go of them. <laughs> They're pretty, pretty tight, tight bound. Why do you call it feeling? Because it feels. Yeah. What does it feel? It feels pleasure, it feels pain, it feels neither pleasure or pain. Why do you call it perception, sanya? Pali word sanya and nya is generally the that bit of a word generally means knowing so panya anya these are all words that imply a kind of awareness sanya means awareness that um, puts things together like loosely speaking um, and it's related to the English word sign, 
sanya and sign sign seems to have descended from the word sanya sign or signify so we might say the sign of something or as I said before the predominant quality you might look at an apple and see the colour or you might see the shape or you might, you might think that looks juicy or you might think that the particular kind of apple it is so, or, you know, so the particular sign that comes up that's the perception the one that predominates there are a number that could be there but one in particular arises for you Sanya. and why do you call them Sankara here I've impudently juxtaposed my tro translation because <laughs> this this, uh, this whole piece here is, becomes almost like uh, babble whatever you do with it in the Pali it's much the same why do you call them Sankara because they Sankara Sankara the Abhi Sankara Sankaras thus they are called Sankaras the word to, to, to what I'm calling programmed or in other words it's formed or fabricated is Abhi Sankara so Abhi just means further so it says the, it kind of it programs the, the program because they program programs they're called programs <laughs> what do they program as a programmed thing for the sake of formness they program form as a programmed thing that is these experiences of heat and pressure and so forth are continually wrapped together into, into, a, into a, a, a conglomerate it gives the sense of a, of a form I mean there's saying not just there's heat but there's a solid thing that's feeling hot you know if it was heat just heat well heat's heat doesn't really you know but the fact that it binds together it's programmed to to relate to earth element the whole the five, four elements coming together creates a sense of a of a dimensional a conglomerate rather than just a unified momentary experience that's the fundamental that's the basic program it sticks it together yeah and having stuck it together then the further programming is this is me for the sake of feeling they program feeling as a program thing this is you know and this you might say is just kind of basic biology you've got something you touch something and the nervous nerve signal starts occurring get away pain you know, does that it's there to make you move didn't have that fingers would have burnt away by now you'd have eaten them or something <laughs> Left them on indoors, all kinds of things. So there it is. That's feeling, and um, pain uh, expects immediate obedience. <laughs> Programmed to have this powerful volitional kick to it. Why do you call it consciousness? Because it cognizes thus it is called consciousness right it cognizes what is sour, bitter, pungent, sweet, alkaline, non-alkaline, salty, unsalty because it cognizes called consciousness it brings something into awareness and consciousness is described as the consciousness through the six sense spheres eye, ear, nose, tongue, body and mind or intellect 
Trenwaltonus uses the word intellect to try and draw a distinction between mano, mano and chitta. Mano is, is the word that's applied to mind consciousness. <coughs> chitta refers to mind base. That's not easy to understand in those words. Mind base. Mind base. Mind base. Mm. So one way of looking at it is um, yeah, that you have mind consciousness, which is this immaterial sense organ that picks up the other senses. It scans them and picks them up and determines what they are. It knows them, mind consciousness. It knows the other senses and it, yeah, so that's the mano. Chitta is the effective, responsive sense. So it's um, most of the, the other eye, ear, nose, and tongue have no feeling associated with them. No, sorry. I mean, seeing, hearing, um, smelling, and tasting have no feeling. Obviously, the physical organs have feeling, but the sense bases, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, have no feeling to them. When you see something, there's no feeling in the seeing. Feeling arises in the mental reception of that which is seen. So the feeling arises from the perception of what is seen. That's a mental activity. Yeah? So that doesn't happen through the eye. So you have this. Um, there are two feeling bases: the body feels, and this the mind has a feeling base. The mental feeling base is so rich and so developed that you've got this separate organizing center which just handles all that information. This is chitta. Because the mind, the mano can define things to such an acute degree you get a whole range of subtle perceptions and uh, meanings and responses can occur. Yeah. So human behavior is very complex and subtle and there's also a lot of behavior that's about behavior. I mean, the mind is also scanning itself and monitoring itself. So it's a very complex system. Because of that, you've got to set, we might say, you know, again, it's an analysis which is not exactly accurate. But you might say there's a separate aspect which just deals purely with processing what the mind has brought in. And this process system is, is chitta. You might say it's the, it's the heart of the mind the receiver of, of what consciousness brings in there's obviously a lot of interplay between the two so and then then what what jitta brings up in terms of its moods and feelings then that can be seen through mano you know the mano vijnana can then look at that so what what mindfulness does really is, is mindfulness is a kind of mano activity mindfulness doesn't by itself have any particular feeling that's, that's the skill of it. It just doesn't really mind. It just watches. So, you know, with mano, you can actually sit that on top of jitta and say, well, look at that's happening there. Mindfulness um, holds a boundary. And that's helpful. And then, of course, but then, you know, with that, there can be. Uh, we, because of that we then tend to check the reactions of chitta they're kind of jumping around as chitta settles down a little more you get another quality coming from chitta which is sampajanya which means that's as if now you're a bit more fully attuned and alert you're not just reactive you're responsive and sampajanya is more like a chitta quality so the two work together and then you can obviously you can 
witness your sense of alertness and awareness so it goes on and the two together help to purify this very complex mind system so that's what human beings have extremely complex mind if you're a dog it's in your nose dogs have wonderful complex noses they can kind of move around through their not through their, their sense of smell and uh, things of this nature you know all kinds of dimensions of scent that we have no way of knowing and, and but uh, we have all kinds of ways of thinking and behaving that dogs are completely mystified by I <laughs> 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 wonder why we suffer so much <laughs> so that's why <laughs> dogs and humans need each other <laughs> yeah. Well, bodhicitta, I suppose it's uh, not entirely fully informed of all the ramifications of the term, but I understand it means probably something like the aspiration, you know. So, you know, the aspiration body, the aspiration quality of the heart. Is that, you know, so that's very much a heart sense, you know. Um, because aspiration is a form of volition you know of intentionality that is um, you know the the guide for liberation the fact that we have faith and we're, we can be enthused and interested and we can rise up that's the potential of chitta so we're not just functioning you know so chitta can be the most deluded and also the most wise <laughs> so Venerable Yanatiloka's version or, or comment on the five khanda we'll just read out some pieces from this <clears throat> this is from his Buddhist dictionary which is um, many years old now but still is quite a valuable source the fact ought to be emphasized here that these five groups correctly speaking merely form an abstract classification by the Buddha but as that they are such i.e. just these five complete groups have no real existence since only single representatives of these groups mostly variable can arise with any state of consciousness for example with one and the same unit of consciousness only one kind of feeling can be associated never more than one similarly two different perceptions cannot arise at the same moment also the various kinds of sense cognition or consciousness only one can be present at a moment at a time for example seeing hearing or inner consciousness etc of the 50 mental formations however <laughs> a smaller or larger number are always associated with every state of consciousness okay. so there we go this, so this is mental formation sankhara um, 50 now this is um, an Abhidhamma classification of 50 different forms it doesn't occur in the sutta but uh, subsequent students and scholars sort of thought they'd classify everything and they managed to come up with 50 different for every every state of consciousness so these might be something like the degree of interest that could be the sankara the quality of mindfulness that could be the sankara so you can have interest with a lot of mindfulness, interest without much mindfulness, so you could have those two running, you could have interest with mindfulness, a little bit of um, delusion you know, so you could have those three running, 
you see what I mean? So that all of these kind of um, you know add their nuances and ramifications to every every experience. So there's the degree to which we're involved or interested, the degree of clarity there is, the degree of dispassion there is. So all these can be seen in terms of sankaras, mental formations, that occur with every state of consciousness. That's the that's the classifying way of looking at things. And there's the, say there's also they're all kind of wrapped up together. So you can say, say with a consciousness, there's also you know the um, the sankara supporting it as the degree of if it's a consciousness got a tinge of greed or a tinge of non-greed in it you know it's a mind consciousness for example so it could be uh, consciousness is accompanied by a de- by a degree of mindfulness or it's not you know so so these kind of will get bound up into what is experienced very much as as one moment but actually it is and it isn't because you can't exactly cut the mindfulness off and say it's separate from that because it's conjoined with it but you can look across that you know if you're in an analytical mode which I wouldn't really recommend too highly Um, (laughs) but it has its uses you can sort of sense hey I'm seeing something there's a little bit of heat going on here you know a little bit of wobbly alright okay you get a feeling for it so you with any moment one's experiencing, you're trying to look into, you know, what's presenting, how it's being presented, and what's the kind of the underlying um, push behind that. Is there some take that we want more of it, less of it? You know, uh, feel a bit nervous about it, or whatever it is. You're looking into the kind of the, the feeling and perceptual nuances that go with that, because they will have their effect on. <coughs> on the sankara you know they would tend to actually make us linger in that or shift to something else so so that's sankara in a way are the, the most important pieces to find out about feeling perceptions and mental formations are only different aspects and functions of a single unit of consciousness they are to consciousness what redness, softness, sweetness, etc. are to an apple and have as little separate existence as those qualities. The only snag or that would have with that qualifier is a, just a small piece here where it said feeling, perception and consciousness friends, these states are conjoined not disjoined it is impossible to separate each of these states from the other and there as you see you don't see Sankara's mentioned which would seem to indicate that Sankara's are not conjoined (laughs) feeling, perception and consciousness, these states are conjoined not disjoined, it's impossible to separate each of these states from the others but uh, perhaps the, the uh, um, point to explore is it possible to separate or to at least discern a distinction between sankhara and consciousness that's a bit abstract but if we look at the volitional element then I would say that is that is there can be seeing and as you see something, you can recognize, hey, I'm really interested in that. And I can, I can actually work with that interest and still be seeing something, but actually, you know, step back and relax. You know, you can, it seems to me that one can very much moderate, you know, so the, they may be conjoined, but they're not, you can distinguish in that. So because of that, you can distinguish when um, any act in acts of consciousness the particular drive or impetus grasp inclination that's occurring and that's for a meditator that's extremely significant because it's only that that you have to work with the consciousness itself is not a problem um, 
but it's the delight or aversion or confusions that um, go along with it consciousness is the activity of bringing something in making something present for you so it's, it's associated with contact you know, consciousness is just a, there's a sense organ there's something that relates to that as consciousness arises there is contact so you know, there can be that moment if you're very careful as you kind of get the first sense of the mind you know, turning towards the eyes so if you're sitting meditating and you're actually involved inwardly and then if you'd rather than ring the bell you kind of think okay it's going to be time to open my eyes and you almost you feel something swing towards the eye base as if the, the, the attention it's the sankaras are going let's focus this way yeah. and then, then you know what you're seeing yeah. so there's a kind of rising and then the, then the contact occurs the light and then perception occurs as you start to form what's being seen but co- so basically consciousness, contact, perception it runs like that mm. one of the difficulties is we're using Pali language which itself is a construct where things mean certain things we're using English language sometimes we're coming through Thai So you get all this kind of mixture of knowing, is that awareness, is that consciousness, is that discernment, is that, you know, because, you know, you get whole heaps of language which overlap but don't necessarily exactly join. Anyway, in terms of practice, so it's just important to recognize the... Uh, the dynamics that go along with what everyone's experiencing and you're aiming to to acknowledge that there's a whole sense in which nothing is coming up unprogrammed and to to know the program that's running and to be able to to, um, move towards dispassion detachment, understanding with that consciousness if it's bringing something in you know, it's a bringing in and you can be aware of what's being brought in you can be aware of that and this is seeing this is so that kind of um, sense and it can be say if there's, if there's no um, direct reactions to that then what's liable to occur is the quality of, of wisdom of knowing that predominates knowing is, a, is the chitta faculty so all of these in a way are knowings you know there there are ways in which knowing occurs we know something because we know it as a form we know it as a perception we know it as a feeling knowing using the word knowing in a very kind of mystical way rather than a thought way you know we we apprehend ah that's feeling that's that's heat that's pressure and so forth that's the quality of of chitta is, is knowing so when when chitta unfastens a lot of its fabrications and formulations you get into a much purer kind of knowing which our Thai tradition tends to move towards just that purity of knowing but it does say in the, in the sutta it says um, one time Sariputta is being questioned and, and the monk is asking him "Is what's the difference between wisdom and consciousness are they the same or are they separate Sariputta says, well, you could say they're, they're the same because wherever there's consciousness, there's wisdom. So he says, oh, that's interesting. So what way are they different? He says, well, the difference is that wisdom is to be developed and consciousness is to be understood. <laughs> wisdom is to be developed, consciousness is to be understood. So be wise about your consciousness knowing, be no knowing about your consciousness, about the consciousness yeah. 
Sorry? I didn't quite catch that. I just wondered if that was a comment from you or whether that was from some part of Which bit? The one that you just gave us was the one to be developed. That's Sariputta. Sorry. What's Sutta? <laughs> <laughs> I think it I think it, it, it might probably be the Mahavedala, the 43rd. Sutta the Majima, whether Sariputta is having a conversation. I think Mahakotita perhaps or someone like that. <laughs> uh, is that the point Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good guess. Impossible is it for anyone to explain the passing out of one existence, the entering into a new existence, or the growth, increase, and development of consciousness independent of corporeality, feeling, perception, and mental formations. So, so this is the when when there is this movement into birth and death, then um, consciousness is always involved with these other four aggregates and in yeah and there are certain um, interesting implications with that which is that with the um, if you there is such a thing as mentioned here and there in the Sudas as the unsupported consciousness which ontologists love finally got something <laughs> to say there is so this is the uh, the Buddha refers to this the unsupported consciousness the consciousness that doesn't incline doesn't go anywhere doesn't um, take fasten upon anything this is like the sunlight uh, if it lands on the wall lands on, you take the wall away lands on the earth you take the earth away lands on the water you take the water away lands on space you take the space